0: Welcome to episode 12 of the One to One Career Conversation podcast. Today we're meeting with Keith Butler. This conversation was recorded a few weeks back, but it doesn't change how informative and insightful the conversation was. We chat about everything from switching a career from reactive to proactive sales, motivating others, making others as passionate as you are, and the role that mentors have played in Keith's career. Keith has some really great lines to keep in mind as you go throughout your career, including one when talking about honesty in the workplace. Your worth truth is always better than your best lie so a little bit about keith he's a sales effectiveness director at interstate hotels if you've not heard about interstate hotels they are the world's leading hospitality management company with thousands of hotel owners and developers guests and others that have discovered the interstate difference in their 500 property global portfolio of hotels resorts and different conference centers around the world keith has held a huge amount of different positions in many different hospitality companies, including different positions at Marriott International, Hilton, Splendid Hotels, and a number of independent hotels across the UK. Keith was also recently nominated as Sales Manager of the Year in the 2019 British Excellence in Sales Management Awards across all industries. As I mentioned earlier, this episode was recorded a few weeks ago, so you may notice a small difference in the audio quality from the last few episodes. Nothing too major, but I did want to let you know. Right, let's get on with the show.
1: Welcome, Keith, and I. I'm really glad that we could speak today.
2: Yeah, great. Like, likewise, too. Thanks, Chris, for inviting me on. So, uh, Keith, let, let's
1: talk a little bit about your career. How, how did the journey start um, in your career of sales today?
2: Yeah, I think most people, um, I'm probably no different in terms of sales and maybe even travel and tourism, sort of fell into it by accident, really. When I was at college, um, I was, well, sorry, when I was at school, I was pretty good at, at maths and really enjoyed geography but I couldn't really find a third A level to, to do at, um, at college. So one of my mates decided to to do travel and tourism. So we decided to go and do a travel and tourism um, vocational um, learning together. I uh, did a couple of um, summers working in Spain, uh, in Mallorca, uh, in a variety of different hotel roles. And really got got into it, really, and, and really loved it. So when I came back from there, managed to get myself a role, initially not in hospitality due to the um, turmoil of September the 11th. Um, but eventually I was quite, generally quite an organised person. So I started planning events in the hospitality industry at the Hilton in Garforth, which is a small town just on the outskirts of Leeds.
1: And you took your first step into, I guess, proactive sales in um, from a reactive sales role, which is obviously a, a clear switch in a you know in a career direction. What kind of drove the the change in switching from reactive sales to proactive selling?
2: Yeah, good, good question. Really, I think probably the. I made a, one of one of many, <laughs> so we'll come on to them later. One of many career mistakes. Um, so as I left Hilton, I felt like, and I'm going back to sort of maths thing that I enjoyed quite quite a lot. I felt like I wanted to be involved in, in sort of more revenue management. So looking at the demand that was coming in, and being very much behind the computer, analysing data and numbers. So I took that decision to leave Hilton to to join a company where I had very much a, a behind desk role, um, but it wasn't for me. So um, that's when I realised that actually, what I loved was closing and winning new deals, um, getting on the road, speaking to customers, and and working with people more closely. So that was really why I decided to go into a more proactive role when I joined um, Hilton Hall from a from a sales executive position, which I did in, in 2009, as you mentioned. Yeah.
1: And, and your role today is, um, a sales effectiveness director at Interstate. Um, it's not something that I've come across before as a, as a job title, but can you talk a little bit about the role, what you're responsible for, and I guess how it links back to like what you mentioned you were so passionate about before of closing and winning deals?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's probably, I mean, I, I, we could literally talk all day about what my my role is and, and things like that, but I'm, I don't want to bore your listeners with, with those sort of details, but I'd say there's probably three key areas. So I look after sales teams in probably up to about 18 hotels at the moment in the UK and Ireland. Um, and my job is to provide strategic sales leadership to those hotel teams be it the, um, the the salesperson that's out there on the road driving uh, new business or account managing a particular territory, or how best they can target social events, weddings and that sort of thing from, from my experience or getting them to, to realise that they have the answers themselves. I think the other key thing is partnering with owners. Um, Interstate, as you've mentioned, are a large management company that just recently merged With another organization called Aimbridge. So, Aimbridge are now our um, umbrella company, meaning that we've got loads more hotels um, across the world and and also in in America. But it's partnering with those owners, the GMs, um, the, the senior leadership teams in those hotels, to make sure that the sales team are targeting the correct business to make the most profitable results for the owner, but ultimately to make the customers feel like they are actually the center of it because that's what they are without any customers Um, we we and our hotels are, are, are nothing really so it's making sure that we're providing the the right level of guest service that we can provide profitable strategies for our owners and then the final thing is to really and one of my key roles and is to be what we call in the interstate a brand lead so um with my extensive marriott background I am the interstate brand lead in uh, in this area. Um, so my job is to really work closely with the brands to ask them and ask them, and challenge them to think differently in the way that they um, maybe approach things and how they can maybe look at things differently. And we were chatting when we were setting up this call earlier about how to work differently with different people. And, and I think that's really key is understanding that you can't always do what you always want to do but what can you do to try and tweak others to get them to do things um, perhaps slightly differently? So I think that's my the sort of three key areas of my role, um, all very different, requiring different skills and, and and different approaches, depending on what level of um, of, of person that you're speaking to and, and, and what their background and, and history is. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, completely. So you would think that, um, and if I'm thinking about this correctly um you're sort of a strategic advisor for 18 hotels if they have a you know a challenge or you know you need to point them in the right direction you're there to be able to do that is that is that correct
2: yeah i think so yeah absolutely so it's it's, it's been being responsible for the commercial drive of, of those properties um suggesting new ways of 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 Those hotels doing particularly well or come in challenging situations and, and, uh, and that's probably a, a key thing as well yeah. yeah
1: so so you're obviously clearly very passionate about leading teams. you wouldn't be leading eighteen hotels if if you weren't be, you weren't um, obviously selling is a key part of the role and working with different stakeholders like you mentioned. Um, owners are obviously so important in the hospitality industry as they grow and develop um, brands and, and things like that. How um, do you make other people as passionate as you uh, when you're working with them? So those 18 people at the property, how do you make them as passionate
2: as you? Yeah, uh, you see, it's really interesting this. I don't, I'd be interested to get your take on it. I, I don't think I can make anybody do anything in, a way, in the way that I can't motivate somebody. I can't make them passionate. I think that's an intrinsic value that my job is to try and harness what their motivation and what their passion is so for me there's two stages to this with my existing team or my my team that have um that I've taken over since joining interstate earlier on this year it's really understanding their real reason for doing what they do and then when they're having a bad day or a bad time of it or they're really struggling over something I believe that it's my role as their, um, as their I guess, senior strategic leader to, to remind them of that so that when I'm coaching them out of something, they know the reason why they need to think differently about the problem or situation that they're in. But then the second side is I think I need to make sure that I understand that and make sure that they are passionate and motivated in interview. And I think interviews are such a key important part of it. And over the years, I've I've changed and updated my interview technique and I've added things, I've taken things away. And for me, it's really understanding why they're in sales. Um, and a lot of people will answer like I've answered at the beginning of today, or just sort of fell into it. But when I fell into it, if people asked me, why are you in sales when I was falling into it? I probably wouldn't have been able to give them a real answer. Now... I can absolutely give you a real answer. The reason why I'm in sales is because I absolutely love winning, um, and I. And, but I'm, and the reason I'm now in sales leadership is because I love seeing other people win through my coaching um, and mentoring and training, and sometimes by being by holding them accountable or, um, for want of a better phrase, uh, just making sure they do what they need to do every day. Um, so I think there's there's two ways of looking at it when, I, when I'm interviewing them you need to make sure that they've got that that motivation and that passion and the reason and understanding their reason for being in sales and then if they're already in your existing team as part of their initial meetings and conversations you've got to figure out ways to to get to the bottom of, of what you can do to really understand why they're in why they're in this job and what it means to them and, and how it makes them feel when they can go home at night and, and take their paycheck home and buy that bike for their kids or take their wife on holiday. That's really the most important thing that I think makes salespeople successful.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you hit the hit the nail on the head of the start. by, I don't think you can make somebody passionate about any subject, whether that is creating a podcast or that's, um, working in sales or that is being in working in a restaurant or being a chef, like you intrinsically have to be passionate about the subject or the hobby or the the activity that you are doing to want to be successful at it. I think you also pulled out a real nugget there of saying um, you have to find what makes people passionate about selling or making a podcast or sh- or cooking or whatever it might be. And I guess that is the art of leadership is finding you as a person, as a leader saying, okay, well, I know that this motivates this person or they really enjoy this part of selling or or this part of, of creativity or whatever it might be. And pulling that through will make people more motivated to do more and, and, and make people want to go that next step beyond, I guess.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. I think it's such an important thing. I really do. And um, I think that's really key to, to making sure that we find and that we really raise the game when it comes to salespeople and, and make sure salespeople are seen as a trusted advisor. That's one of the big things that we talk about with our teams at Interstate is what what can you do today to become a trusted advisor to more of your contacts more of your prospects um, to to really ensure that they use you as a as a partner in their business not just as a commodity
1: well people ultimately buy from people who they trust yeah uh, it, it, that's the same as if you're buying a, a hotel room or or a, or a conference space or a car if you don't trust the person that you're interacting with then um, you're ultimately not probably going to buy from them, and and sometimes that is your first interaction with them, um, or it could be interactions over many times where that person has done something for you, or or has made the previous event successful, and you want to go yeah. buy them. And I noticed when when doing some preparation for today, I saw a, an online interview, and you you mentioned that. In in the world of sale, selling, there's typically a lack of trust in salespeople from consumers. Um, I guess what do you think drives that lack of trust, and how can people overcome that uh, when dealing in the world of sales?
2: Mm. No, it's a good question. I think it's um, there's a stereotypes, isn't there? I mean, you'll you'll hear about um, your, your listeners from from the uk will will know about del boy and and, and things like only fools and horses where you have salesmen that deliberately sell dodgy gear uh, to people or dodgy products and services and, and rogue traders and stuff like that so i think a lot of it is down to bad experiences but i think it's also down to experiences that should be good but they're not good because salespeople and I can count myself in this, I've made tons of mistakes over my career, and I'm sure we'll get to to talk about a couple of them, maybe not too many though, Chris, um, over, the, uh, over the course of the next uh, time that we've got together. But, but I think it's about that authenticity and, and making sure that you don't sell something to people that they don't really want or need. And I think too many times where I've seen poor examples of of people selling is when they try to tell me something that I don't need and they're so desperate for the sale for whatever reason that might be that they that they are not able to walk away and one of the key things that I've said for a long time is if it doesn't make money don't do it to my salespeople. and what I mean with that is not just in that one transaction there and then but actually has something that they actually um, have a problem that you can solve with your products or service i think the other thing as well is um you've got to build relationships and i think the new version of um the other fools and the horses sort of dell boy is when people connect with you on linkedin and then immediately send you a massive long oh we've got this new amazing products and service you I'm sure you want to buy it. When do you want to set up a call? And the first thing I do is literally click block and report them because that's not what LinkedIn is about. LinkedIn is about building relationships and I have built a, a fairly reasonable network on on LinkedIn. There there are a number of people on there that are um potential people that might work for me in the future. There's ex-colleagues. Um, like yourself on there and and there's also people in business in in other networks owners general managers um, other management company bosses etc because it's about building relationships and connecting with those people and i think the final thing that i would say to make sure that salespeople can overcome that stereotype is listening and Everyone says listening, don't they? And I think, I'm sure Chris, you'll have heard that, but but actually really listening to to what the prospect or your customer or your client or your consumer, however, however you want to call them, what they have to say. And then don't just ask basic questions. Do your preparation, understand what their problems might be, practice that preparation, and then ask brilliant questions. Don't waste your time asking questions that everybody asks. Ask really good questions that will get you some really insightful information. Um, One of the things that we used to teach people in Marriott in the training course I used to deliver on a generally about a quarterly basis was was really get get your customer to stop and think. You, You don't want the customer to be able to answer that question there and then. You want to get them to stop and think oh, no one's ever asked me that before. What do I need to say that's going to give 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 the right information that I need to give? So those are the three things that I would say. Don't sell something to people that they don't want or need and don't be afraid to walk away. Build relationships and listen and ask really great questions.
1: Yeah, I, I love the don't be afraid to walk away piece. Um, yeah. and, and I think... From a personal perspective, like I, I um, we currently live in the US and we rent our house. And um, I must probably get, I don't know, two people a week uh, knock on knock on the door and tell me that there's there's a problem with the roof or that my grass needs cutting or or whatever it might be. And and um, they go into this whole trade of of selling and and then they they I say oh I rent my house and they go oh, okay goodbye and and then they just leave because they know that <laughs> they know that I'm not the decision maker. Yeah. Whereas if, if, if they'd have come and said, do you own your house at the start? And, and, and was, I'd say no. And then they say, okay, well, uh, you know, I was just doing this. And, I, and and that one question at the start of trying to establish whether the person they're actually speaking to is a decision maker. Yes. Yeah. And then being able to be like, okay, well I'm walking away now because I don't, I don't have to sell to this person because he's not the, yeah, decision yeah. maker um is, is super important and building up that community you mentioned it on on linkedin as well it's such a powerful tool but some people just uh, use and abuse it and uh, i was talking to somebody on a on a prior podcast and he was telling me that he probably gets uh, eight to ten uh, unsolicited requests for connection a day yeah
2: um, I would probably about four or five i'd say at the minute
1: which, which is a huge amount and and you you as you said some of them you may work with them in the future which is a good thing um but i get things for like oh you're responsible for payments oh, yeah, i'm not responsible for payments there any straight form or form but um you know they they just want to sell their product whether that person is right to sell to or
2: yeah. Do you sell that to your wife as well when you when you pay for the restaurant meal on on a night time Pretty much. I'm not, I'm, responsi- I'm, not, I'm, not I'm not responsible. for payments. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not responsible for any transactions or money. <laughs> um,
1: my wife would laugh, laugh at that because I have no clue how to log into the online banking or, or any tri- or anything like that. So, um, but it it's uh, yeah. It, there's definitely a world in that space where people could really solicit people in a, in a really good way and understand that they're actually talking to the person that they need to talk to. Um, and yeah. also give them a product that you know that they, they truly, uh, truly need. Um, yeah. I think is a, is a good, good, th- good thing to keep in mind. So, um, so when you, when you look back at your career, um, what percentage of that do you think is, Uh, the success is driven by sheer determination passion and drive and what percentage do you think is made up of like education that you saw in a earlier life you mentioned previously that you took a travel and tourism part in in school but yeah percentage really makes up that success for education yeah it's interesting that i hadn't
2: um thought about this until probably the last two or three years when I think about my career and I've still got a long way to go and I've just recently finished reading a few quite a good number of audio books and one of them that and I also have started to get a keen interest in political history um, and I read a book uh, about Winston Churchill and one of his um, one of his sort of Quotes with you may be familiar with it, so please correct any of it if I'm if I'm wrong because I was reading it from memory. is Success is never final, and failure is never fatal. And I think that's quite an interesting thing when I when I answer this question now is I I still I I've done all right for myself. I'm proud I'm proud of what I've achieved so far, but I don't feel like I've been successful yet. Um, I feel like I've I've achieved good results, and I've and I've and I've achieved results for owners and management companies and GMS, etc. Um, but I still feel like I've got a long way to go in, until I can confidently say that I've been successful. But I think there's a over the years I've had different ways of having a goal, um, and I think certainly you have to have a plan. And I remember in my early years of working, when I first started in hospitality, Hilton did a really great training course around around this. And they, they encouraged all of their leaders to do an affirmation statement. Um, and basically, my affirmation statement was stuck absolutely everywhere. It was in the days where we didn't have uh, iPhones and Blackberries. We had a, a I had a file <laughs> People might have been Googling that now and thinking, what the hell's one of them? Um And it was on my fax It was on my, um, my desktop computer. It was on the, um, on the, my telephone. And it was something on the lines of by the time, five years from now, so I think it was something like, 2007 when I did it. So by March 2012, I will own my own home, um, be a regional revenue director, which is going back to what I was saying before about wanting to be in a, a more analytical role and be married. And at the time I was single, living at home with my mum and a very junior sales planner. So it was quite a stretching goal. And by the time, so that was by March 2012, I'd everything was there except the um, the marriage, but that was May 2012. So that definitely helped me knowing what my goal was. Then a few years after that, I started journaling, so understanding what I needed to learn and what I needed to do differently. Um. And then more recently, I'm now working on something that I've sort of entitled role planning. So what what do I want to be in the future when I can comfortably sit and have this conversation with you and say, yeah, I feel like I've been successful. Um, and what? how long do I need to do that role for? And then... What do I need to learn in that role to be able to do the role that I want to be? Bring another step forward, okay, what's the role that I need to do in that role? And how and what do I need to learn out of that? So if I'm thinking now, I know over the next three to five years, these are the five key things that I really need to make sure that I'm sharpening my pencil on, um, and really ensure that I can can learn those lessons and put them into practice so that when the next interview or when the next job comes up, it's, it's obvious. Absolutely. We need Keith for that job. Yeah. I think Does that answer your is, question? Maybe it, it, maybe it doesn't really, but.
1: No, it does. I think, I think planning is, is so key. Um, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've had people say out of the blue, I want to do this now. And you had no prior knowledge of of it and they were applying for roles at that time. Whereas just six to 12 months of planning in advance of saying, you know, if it's shifting a career going from reactive to proactive sales or from marketing to revenue management or whatever it might be, just six to 12 months would have helped get them better prepared for a switch like that um, and making them more successful when the time is right. The, The other piece is I think I have a good number of nieces and nephews where some of them have opted to go through university and and friends that have children doing the same thing as well. And they say, I have a degree. Why am I not getting these jobs? And you're like, everybody has a degree. Like you have to, you have to think about that as being, what are you doing differently um, to, to make yourself stand out? But also if you don't have the education piece, it's not fatal. Um, And from a very personal perspective, I did three years of a four-year degree at college and then said i don't want to do this anymore yeah. well you tried telling your parents that you don't want to complete a one year left of your degree but you want yeah. to go and work in food and beverage yeah um, and and at the time it was like the worst decision that i could have possibly made in certain people's views but now i look back and say okay well if I didn't do that and didn't make that shift, then probably wouldn't be where I am today because I would be a year behind the curve and, and not have been given that opportunity to in food and beverage, which probably wasn't the best paid job I could have got, but it was the, it was the definite grounding and learning experience to be able to inform conversations that I was having, six seven eight years down the
2: line yeah so. i mean i i like, similar to you i didn't I, I didn't even start a university course i i knew that i didn't i wasn't academic enough to be able to go to university and i think university courses have absolutely have their place for the for the people um especially for academic roles um but sometimes real life experience and work experiences is, is, is the university that, 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 I, that I, I went to um, and I think I think it's really important to, to think having understanding what's the right thing for you and I think less and less people now feel like they, they have to follow their path of, of, of what everyone else does and I think that's really good and I think there's a lot more entrepreneurial spirit in the world at the moment and i think that's that's definitely important
1: yeah i think i think the current climate is certainly driving some some great innovation um in product and service like i, I was reading um i think it was a new york times article and they this there was a restaurant I think it was in chicago i think and he um they, they made pizza and now clearly that business is completely dried up with the current situation um, but he, he had to pivot and he had to innovate and do something different and he's now he could make sure he could use his oven to make um, masks for frontline workers so he pivoted wow. super quickly and made masks and is now selling them um, at a rate that is acceptable to local hospitals and, and things like that and, you think about probably six weeks ago, he probably didn't even think that that was going to come his way, right? He, um, he, he just was plowing on with his traditional business. And I think you're right. Like Failure is not fatal. Like, you can always um, fail at something and move on and do something different. You can always yeah. change. But planning and getting there in the right place is... is the, key, key.
2: the key thing with failure is you've got to learn the lesson from it you've got to understand what it is that you could do differently next time to to make sure that that you don't make the same mistake again yeah and also i guess pass on that
1: knowledge and those experiences to team members so if yeah. you if you make that failure i uh, i'm in the same boat as you you learn from those different uh, opportunities throughout your career but making sure that when you're speaking with those 18p 18, pe- 18 hotels that, yourself or whether it's just two people or whatever it might be that those experiences are yeah. passed on so they they learn from from you and, and can glean that experience I guess yeah absolutely yeah so when when you look back at your uh, career too what role do you think that mentors have in your success today
2: yeah quite a big role I think um I had a number of 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 line managers and uh, uh, over my, over my time, especially at Hilton. But I, there's probably too many mentors to, to to name on this podcast. But certainly my first, and I'll I'll name my first and last one. Um, my first one was a lady called Bernadette Gilligan. Um, she was director of business development at Hilton in um, in the north of England. I think it was at the time. She's now general manager of the Double Tree by Hilton, uh, Tower of London. Um, And for me, she was the lady that really supported me going into my first sort of leadership role. Um, I was in Leeds at the time and uh, the first sort of conference and event sales manager role came up in in York and, and she convinced me to apply for it and she said look Keith you're right you're probably not ready for it because that's what I said to her during during that during that conversation she said but I will come and have a coffee with you every once a week we'll discuss the problems that you've had and we'll discuss the ways for to try and to try and solve it and there was a number of people at, at Hilton that supported me um and then sort of moving into my sort of country club role, my, my line manager and the GM of the property joining Marriott where I first obviously met yourself, um my GM, Cluster Director of Sales, sort of John Fowley and Casey Ramsey were two really key who both still very senior people now in, in Marriott um were really great mentors. And then also my latest mentor I guess obviously just joining interstate now. I've got a, a new a new team, and new colleagues. Is a, a chap called Marcus Kauke. and he's a um, a sandler trainer. Um, and some of you will be familiar with sandler. And he really helped me to really knuckle down and understand what my strengths and weaknesses were. And and that for me was a really key thing. And making sure that you have trust and um build a good relationship with your mentor so that they can tell you when you need to really step your game up or actually pat you on the back when you've done a good job but what do you need to do differently to make it even better next time and i think absolutely mentors and coaches are really important i think coaching is is an essential part of it because if you recruit well um then the person that you're coaching will probably have the majority of the answers. Um, and I think that's where that intrinsic motivation comes from. Cause if, if I'm coaching somebody and ask them some, and I used to say this where people used to say, Oh, thanks Keith. You've really supported me in my career or whatever. I always say, well, all I did was ask you some difficult questions. You did all the hard work. And that's my approach and it always has been. And one of my first ever bosses, unfortunately, I'm not connected with him on, on LinkedIn. I don't I don't know if he's on LinkedIn. There's a gentleman called Mark Lodge. He was um my boss at the uh, jewellery manufacturing warehouse like, that I first um first worked at when I came back from Mallorca after September the eleventh and couldn't get a job in hospitality. And he said to me, and it took me years to realise what he meant. He said, Keith, you need to be able to make yourself redundant as a manager. I was like, Mark, I want to go out there. I want I've got my car insurance to pay for, and and so like, No, no, Keith. He said, just have a think about it. As a leader, you've got to make yourself redundant. And it did take me a few years to realise what that meant, um, but now that is a massive part of what I try and do every day when I'm coaching and mentoring people and leading my team is. How can I upskill them, train them? And I think we've talked about it before about my passion for training to make sure that they really know that they have most of the answers and they really are focused on achieving their own goals for their own reasons. And it's my job as a, as their coach or mentor to, to ask them some challenging questions to get them to come to those solutions themselves. Does that make sense? yeah I think it's a,
1: a fascinating line of like you need to make yourself redundant with your team in some you know because yeah it, you can't I can't tell you the number of people that you see that can't or or struggle to relinquish control for a two week uh, holiday or vacation because either their team are not able to step in or because of other reasons, right? Um, yeah, and and I think the more that leaders can coach their teams and coach others to be, I try and I think my method is I try and get them to operate a, a level higher than probably where they are at now. Yeah. And so whether that is a an executive acting and being like a manager, or a or a manager acting and being like a director or a senior manager or whatever yeah. it might be, that will Significantly help them in the future because as they go then to get that promotion, as they go then to get uh, that that next step, the next level, they're already they're already acting like that, um, and they're already being that role. Um, and I think that's kind of the way that you people enjoy their work more, you know, and um, and, and try and do the best they can. Really,
2: yeah, no, I agree here, yeah.
1: absolutely. So I have some quick fire questions for you. Okay. Um, so when working with you what are two behavioral qualities that others have to show on a daily basis?
2: Okay. I think uh first thing is coachability. They've got to be coachable because that's my style of leadership is coaching. So if they have the ability to be coached then absolutely that's a massive tick. And then for somebody who is an out-and-out proactive salesperson, they need to have a habit of being able to prospect on a daily basis. Whether that be by a telephone, uh, doing social selling, um, but ultimately picking up the phone and speaking to customers, whether they be new customers, existing customers, or lapsed users, that's that's two massive must-haves that that I think any salesperson needs to have. Okay, and then
1: what behavior do you at work do you just not tolerate?
2: I think that probably goes back to my conversation about the, the trustworthy salespeople, and I think you, you've got to be 100% truthful. And there's a question that I ask in an interview which helps me to understand whether somebody's approach is, 100 percent trustworthy and the question that i asked them is when is it okay to lie to a prospect and the only acceptable answer is never it's never okay to lie to a prospect and and actually the best response that i ever had and i think this is a really great great learning is your worst truth is better than your best lie that yeah that's powerful because if um you'll always get found out and to
1: tell it yeah. like I'm, I'm so um, stand behind that, whether that's you're dealing with a customer that like you are with selling or for a stakeholder or, or something along those lines. Yeah. And I think it, um, people do well with honesty, transparency and just look at this is what, you know, this is the situation. And, yeah, um, and I like the answer of like, it's never acceptable to lie, but that piece of, um your best truth is better than your worst lies uh, or your best lies yeah, lie is,
2: is, yeah uh, wrong way around chris <laughs> <laughs> your worst your worst truth is better than your best lie it, it's uh that it's was my bad. worst truth my hilton story when somebody resigned and res- rescinded that was my worst truth that's for sure all
1: right well thank you so much for your insights keith i really appreciate it i know that you're uh super active over on uh linkedin so um, obviously people can go over there build a relationship with Keith don't uh, try and sell him something straight away but, um, <laughs> but um, please go over there and connect with Keith and um, and, and build that, that network so um, you've been listening to the One to One Conversation podcast this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Anchor, Breaker Google Podcasts and probably anywhere else you, that you enjoy podcasts you can hit subscribe to be notified of new episodes please rate and review the show to help others find it And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the one-to-one pod. Thanks for listening and have a good day.